Welcome to a very special episode of Input Output. I couldn't even get through that without laughing for five seconds. But no, this is a different type of episode. I'm Brian. As always, I'm here with Vince. We are proud members of the Multiversity Podcast Network. Go to multiversitycomics.com and check out all the wonderful podcasts like Wrestleversity and uh, Robots from Tomorrow and Orbital and Conversation. And uh, yeah, you'll you'll get some excellent content there. But we're here to talk about music, and we're here specifically to talk about music that has come out in the first six months of 2016. So Vince, we were just talking less than two minutes ago about how you do not like the trend of <laughs> uh, publications doing their best of list so early, specifically that the best of 2016 so far. I think that this trend really started a year or two ago, you started to see it kind of pop up everywhere. But I have subjected you to both the spin and stereo gum lists for so far, the best of the year. And um, do you have any observations about these lists? Anything that jumps out at you? I, both lists will be in our show notes if anybody wants to look for themselves. But does anything kind of you know, jump out at you in terms of what types of albums are making the list? Um, well, they both <laughs> they both have the uh, the 1975s i like it when you sleep for you are so beautiful yet so unaware of it which is something i would say about you brian oh thank you um, thank you my but, friend but they both have that album on it which is a dreadful dreadful album <laughs> yeah, it's pretty terrible <laughs> that's one thing i noticed but another thing i noticed is that um and you alluded to this before the show too there are a lot of uh big albums that were sort of newsmakers um that are on both of these lists, and for the most part, I didn't connect with those this year. And there are some years where I'm I'm totally in agreement on that stuff. Well, like which ones are you talking about particularly? Well, I'm talking about um, Kanye's album, and uh, you know, like anytime Death Grip shows up or uh, that that Dive album, like mm-hmm. I just don't get. You know, I couldn't get into that. Um, uh, Parquet Quartz, I think is on both. Yep. Um, Rihanna's latest one. Um, Weezer somehow made it on one of these lists. Um, I like that Weezer album. Yeah. (laughs) Like is a strong word. Um, (laughs) but, but anyway, I mean, the, the only ones that, that I would say match up to where they are on these lists and then my own expectations would be, uh, uh, Chance's album and then Beyonce. Um, those were two that I feel are like desert, totally deserving of the hype. Um, uh, other than that, you know, like, yeah, there's, there's, there's albums on here that I, that I like certainly. And I'm not just trying to be contradictory, but, uh, but as you said before the show, my list at the end is going to look a lot different, I think. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I'm interested when looking at this list, first of all, to see how many albums we've talked about are on here, especially the spin list. As you're going through it, like we talked about Lemonade, we talked about Black Star, we talked about Emily's D Plus Evolution, we talked about The Life of Pablo, we talked about A Moonshaped Pool, we talked about Emotional Mugger, and we talked about The White Album. So we have our finger on the pulse, man. <laughs> yep, you could say that. Yeah. Um no, I I'm uh 
I always think that there's a couple albums that are put on these lists that are essentially there's like one guy on the staff who loves this one album and they know it won't make the end of the year list. And so this is the place to throw, you know, the guy who loves that Brothers Osborne record or whatever gives him a chance to write about it in a in a really loving way where that's definitely not going to be making a list at the end of the year, you know. Sure. Oddly enough, that that album is um, is by Ozzy's uh, siblings, which is interesting. You wouldn't think. You're joking, right? Yes. I figured. Okay. Right. <laughs> I've only seen the cover, and I was like, that that does not seem that does not seem possible. I should have stuck with that one. I, I should have left, should have left you hanging. You would have totally gotten me too. <laughs> totally gotten me. Um, you know, we were saying before we started to record how there's a bunch of albums on here that we haven't heard yet. And we have a we have a running Google Doc, and we've listened to a shit ton of albums this year so far, and there's still a lot more to get to, and that's both exciting and frustrating. <laughs> yeah, it's it's freaky. I mean, I think both of us have probably listened to around 250 albums so far, and uh, <laughs> to think that like half of the ones on this list I haven't even listened to yet, it's crazy. Yeah. Um. Well, we're not doing a list like this for this week's show, but we are going to be focusing on five albums apiece that we feel have not gotten enough love from the press, from the internet community, from anybody other than maybe ourselves so far this year. So we're going to be going back and forth with albums that we really enjoyed. We've each listened to the other's albums, so we have something to kind of compare and contrast with. And we're going to leave you with one song from each album that we think you should Definitely check out, and if you enjoy that song, you should be able to go deeper into the album and really like it. So, Vince, you're um, you're the man of the hour. Why don't you go first? Sure. So, um, uh, I want to talk about Anna Meredith's Varmints, for starters. Um, it's kind of this. Um, it's a. It's sort of a mix of. Um, acoustic instrumentation and uh, like synth and electronica, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it's really interesting because um, the the album itself oscillates between like this uh, this like very like tension filled sense of dread at times uh, with like. She she's she's very clearly a composer and so she composes something that could be like in a nightmare scene in a movie, oh, you know? Yeah. And oh, just yeah. totally 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 dread, you know, this major sense of dread. And then the very next song can be this like bright synthy ch- chime like the the song something helpful is is one that I wanted to highlight. Um and it's got like the, these chimes and this like bright light synth and she's got like delicate vocals that go over it and the vocals are almost used more as an instrument themselves because I, I don't think I mean without knowing what the lyrics are you can't really make out much of what she's singing it may be one or two tracks you have some idea but for the most part it's pretty hard to make it out it's just
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's just there to add another layer to whatever she's doing. Um, but it's it's insane how well that all works together. I think because um, because these the the tone of each track is really disparate, but it all comes together in this pack. Like it's all very clearly one artist um, and and one sort of uh, palette of techniques that she's using. Yeah, I love this album. Um, I had gone back, we had listened to it when it first came out, and I enjoyed it, and then I went back after you named it one of our albums to talk about, and it really grew on me. I think it's pretty great. I think it's an album that, how can I put this? Okay, this I, I'm, I'm surprised that you like this album as much as you do. Because I feel like it's so unlike the other things we've talked about that you've really enjoyed so far <laughs> as part of this podcast. And just as, as our listening experiment's been going on all year. And I don't mean that as a negative at all. It's just it really took me by surprise, and I, I like that. I'm a, I'm a renaissance man in that You way. are. You are. <laughs> no, it, it, the album also feels, and I don't mean this as a negative, although I could see somebody maybe taking it that way. It feels very academic to me. It, oh sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it feels like you said very composed, and this is an album that is not talking down to the listener at all. It's challenging and it's interesting, and there's nothing about it that I would say is for casual fans of music. Yeah, I think that's fair. One one thing I, I realized I was I was supposed to wait to to talk about the the to name the track until we <laughs> both talked about uh, it a little bit, but I'll, I'll name another track then just to make up for that. Okay. But, uh, uh, you know, I I talked about uh, something helpful, which is this like light, bright sort of song, which isn't necessarily all that she does, and then. Um, to, to contrast that with the opening track, Nautilus, which is the, which, which is is the, the best track on the album, personally. Oh, you think so? Yeah. yeah. The, that's that. That's got that like dreadful, like droning, dark tone. That like you listen to those two songs side to side, and and uh, you can t- you can you can probably eke out that it's the same artist, but doing two totally different things. Um, and the range is the range is impressive. Thank you. 
what's what's your first one you want to talk about? Uh, I'm going to talk about an album that came out back in January, and it is by Walter Martin, formerly of The Walkman, and the album is called Arts and Leisure. Uh, this album is very much inspired by fine art. Uh, Martin writes a couple of songs about specific artists and specific works of art, as well as a little bit about um, sort of yeah, that that's the arts part of the title and the leisure. He talks a little bit about some jobs he had. And then there's a couple of songs that talk about just these sort of fun experiences that he's had, you know, both as a child and as an adult. It reminds me a lot of Jonathan Richmond, who's one of my favorite singer-songwriters, and specifically Jonathan Richmond's late 70s, early 80s output, which is when my interest in him is at its peak. These songs are really catchy and really fun and interesting, but also like totally... I feel like this is music I could play for my daughter and she would like it or play it for my wife and she'd like it or maybe even play it for my mom and she'd like it. Like, it's, it just feels very universal to me. It feels like it's music that isn't so... Um, I, I can't see people having, like, diametrically... being diametrically opposed to this music. I don't know. It's just so pleasant. <laughs> it is. You, you know... Uh... <laughs> I've kind of I wrote this line down and I'm I'm quite proud of it. Okay. It's like if if Mark Kozilek was nice. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh it's the, that's the most fantastical thing I've heard all day. <laughs> um particularly if you listen to the the um well, no, I'll let I'll let you pick the song. No, 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 no. So what were you going to say? I was going to say if you listen to the opening track, uh, Jobs I Had Before I Got Rich and Famous. Uh-huh. That is totally like a storytelling song. And even the 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 way he tells the story, you know, with these like oddball observations that he makes, mm-hmm. um, that seem re- really really mundane imagery, but that like presented in a slightly skewed fashion, you know. Uh-huh. Freshman in college, I was delivering pizza, but to deliver one pie, half an hour round trip. And college kids, man, they don't tip. And so I quit. And it was their loss. Cause I was the only driver not stealing from the boss. And siphoning gas from students' cars. Metropolitan Museum, the telephone switchboard, when a caller would ask for Philippe de Montebello, I'd transfer to my apartment where an unsuspecting fellow, my roommate Stuart, so sound asleep, would answer the phone when he heard the beep. And pretty quick they'd realize that he wasn't Philippe. Information counter at the Cloisters Museum And one day Billy Joel walks in I take a long, long look at him A dignified old music man And that's when I devised my plan It reminds me of the Sun Kill Moon, you know 
only nice. Like, like there's there, everything is pleasant. Everything's not like, you know, Walter Martin is not uh, finding a cousin or a niece or whatever dead in a garbage dump or whatever. <laughs> was the, you know, yeah, he's re- he's rescuing a cat from a tree or something. Yeah, I um the track I wanted to talk about was Watson and the Shark because it. it are you a museum guy? Do you like museums? Sure, yeah. I love an art museum. And um, my wife and I recently took our kids to the uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York for the first time. Uh-huh. And we've been there before, but, you know, my, my son is so young, he has no idea. But my daughter, she's watched, you know, a number of TV shows, people go to museums, and she was super interested in the artwork, but she would, like, run up to a painting, look at it for a second, and then want to move on to the next thing. And I, I, I'm... I like to sit there and really contemplate the piece of art and take it all in. And there was none of that whatsoever. But (laughs) Watson and the Shark, to me, reminds me a lot of the experience of being young at a museum and seeing a piece that might give you a feeling that you didn't think you could get from art, whether that's being scared or being turned on or being confused or something feeling very personal. You know, just I feel like it's such a great thing to experience art as a, as a child because you can, it just opens up all these avenues in your life. And to me, what the whole album feels that way, but Watson and the shark to me really reminds me of being like a young man. In the museum. That's, that's a nice imagery. Thank you. When I was a kid growing up in Washington, DC, my parents would often take me and my brother and sister down to the national gallery of art for a stroll through the galleries and a decent but overpriced lunch at the cafeteria. Like most kids, I found the gallery stroll to be tedious. Portraits of old people, blurry water lilies, landscapes of places that looked boring, and interior scenes that said nothing to me. But there was one picture that I loved. In the late 18th century, while across the ocean, artists were busy painting fancy ladies in their hats and dresses. A guy from Boston sat down and made a really big, really realistic painting of a guy being attacked by a shark. John Singleton Copley's Watson and the Shark captured my heart, excited my sense of adventure, and gave me my first sweet taste of the magic of art, so I thank him for that. This next and final verse is a little bit unrelated, but it's about another Copley painting of a really weird-looking little boy holding his pet squirrel. I hope you enjoy it. That little boy has got a flying squirrel on a long gold chain. He's got a squirrel on a chain. It's an unusual toy for a little boy, but those were different days. Yeah, those were different days. What is your next album? Um, I, I'd like we're to We're flying talk... through, by the way. We are, we're making record time for our podcast. That's all right. That's all right. We'll get derailed in a minute. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd like to talk about uh, the album Under Summer by Yindi Haldar, um, which is a – they're like an indie post-rock band, um, uh, very spare – 
uh, soft vocals. Again, the vocals are almost like they almost just add to the layers. That's kind of a theme of of um, these albums that are kind of flying under the radar, I think. Um, and the thing that I like about this album so much is that it's called Under Summer, right? But it every year there's a handful of albums that feel like autumn to me. Okay. And those are my favorite. Um, that's my favorite season. And those me too. Al- really? Yeah. Wow, we're we're such a pair. I know. Um, and and there's something about the the like melancholy guitar that this band uses. It's like very. It's very like subtle, shimmering. Um, not soft, but just like melancholy is the way I describe it. And then there's a violin, which only adds to that, you know. Yeah. Um, on a lot of these songs, and well, the album is really only four songs, and they're like super long. Yes, they are. <laughs> One thing about the album, though, is that like all four of these songs, they're like all ten minutes long, but they're made up of like. There's movements very, to them. Yes, there's movements to them. It's very they're very distinct parts. There's parts where the sound almost entirely drops out, you know. And I feel like, like maybe something like this would be more popular or go over better if, like, you just divided those up into tracks. I'm sure that's, <laughs> I'm sure that's sacrilege to say that, you know, because this is an artist doing something very intentionally, you know. But, but I just feel like it would have been more digestible to people. But regardless, um, I like it, and it 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 makes me think of fall. And I think when fall comes around, I'll drive around listening to this album and look at the leaves changing and, and, uh, and, and pine for death. So. <laughs> See, it's interesting. I, to me, it, it's a very wintry album. Really? Yeah. I, I, I often categorize music seasonally actually. Yeah. 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 Uh, a friend of mine, my, my best friend, Ken Beck recently put it on Facebook that said like, Hey, I love that these two real estate albums, they're my favorite summer albums. What are more summer albums? And I texted him and was like, those are totally fall albums, you asshole. Like, yeah, you know, are fall albums. And, uh, but he was like, oh no, he's like, and the way he described it, I was like, oh no, I could, okay. I see why you say that's summery, but to me, these reasons make it fall-ish, you know? So, uh-huh. um, yeah, to me, this sounds like thawing. Like it's the end of well, the winter, end of winter, the end of winter, and everything's kind of coming out of it. Um, okay, I really enjoyed this album too. Actually, I um, I like that the tracks are long and varied. It makes for a tough listen if you're trying to do other things besides just bask in it. You know, yeah. it's it's um, and you almost can't listen to part of it. Exactly. Yes, you, know, you, you have like, to give yourself like the hour. It's gonna. Or it's like, how long is it? It's pretty long. It's like almost an hour because I think it's like it's fifty-eight like minutes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Interesting though that we both have a different take on it, and the title has a third take on the season. <laughs> yeah.
Are you typically a post rock guy? I like a little bit of it. You know, there's there's always there's always maybe one or two albums that make it onto my year end list that that are post rock. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I also think that that genre is a little bit fluid. I feel like not everybody always describes the same type of music that way. You know what Agreed. I mean? Like, like some, some people think that it's only instrumental, right? Music, you know, and this, the, the vocals on this aren't the strongest by any means, but you know, they're there. But I, to me, post-rock is a feeling, you know, it's yeah. kind of this like, instrumentation heavy the instrumentation dominates and it's like kind of like these very emotional guitar work and kind of soaring at times the post rock the post rock was the friends we made along the way the way right like that fucking joke couldn't get out of my mouth it just my, my, my body's fighting it he said it was a feeling yeah so, you know yeah 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 can you uh, buy me a feeling <laughs> can i borrow a feeling yeah whatever <laughs> Brother, can you spare two dimes? Yeah. <laughs> uh, brother from a different series. All right, listen. listen. <laughs> well, I'm going to end this love fest that we have going back and forth. I'm going to make you talk about the monkeys oh, for God. a few minutes, Vince. Oh, God. So let me let me, let me me set the stage here, okay? Please do. Please. Hey, five-year-old Brian, six-year-old, whatever I was. <laughs> um, first record I ever bought, The Monkeys' Greatest Hits. Bought it off a TV commercial. Uh, they were. It was when the monkeys were back on Nickelodeon and, and MTV and reruns. And I, uh, for like a brief moment there, I thought the monkeys were better than the Beatles. But I was you know, in kindergarten, so fuck me. Um, but I, I, I never kind of lost my love for the monkeys as a pop act as you know um jangly guitars and you know there's a half dozen monkey songs that i will say are perfect brilliant songs um but they've never really made a good album because they're everything about them is kind of as people will tell you you know fabricated and so the first couple of Monkeys albums are very much just like collections of singles that other people wrote. Then they tried to do it all themselves, and it wasn't great. And they kind of found a happy balance in like the late '60s, and then people started quitting the band. And what I'm saying is, there was never a great Monkeys album until now. Um, I really think that this is the best Monkeys album that there ever has been in terms of a full album experience. Uh, for those that aren't aware. These songs were written by a number of very, very accomplished contemporary songwriters, people like Rivers Cuomo of Weezer, Andy Partridge of XTC, Noel Gallagher of of Oasis, uh, Paul Weller of The Jam, um, Ben Gibbard of Death Cab for Cutie. They all contributed these songs. The record was produced by Adam Schlesinger. I can never say that name right. Schlesinger of Fountains of Wayne. And it's just, it's like, a, to me, it sounds like a really good Fountains of Wayne record. It's, a, it's poppy, it's really well produced, but you also get a little bit of the, I don't want to say the the grit of an older voice, but you know, each of the monkeys, except there's one track that Davy Jones recorded in the 60s that they found after he died, but you know, each of the tracks is sung by somebody who's who's kind of, who's older, 
And I think there's something a little bit poignant about these optimistic songs about, to me, about youth coming from such grizzled voices. Um, but you hate the monkeys. <laughs> I don't hate them, Brian. In fact, they were a huge influence on the Beatles. They were a huge influence on the Beatles, it's true. Um, no, uh, boy, where do I begin? Um, I don't hate the monkeys. I agree with you that um, they've never had a good album. <laughs> that sounds horrible. Um, but they have, I would say, a half dozen truly brilliant songs that stand the test of time that I love. I'll say that. Um, I think I would probably agree with you. Now, I don't know when the last time I listened to an actual Monkees album was. Mm-hmm. But but what I'm saying is I could easily... I believe you when you say that this is their best album. Okay. I, I can easily see that. You know? I don't... I think I said deserves a second listen uh, to do a peek behind the curtain at uh-huh. our little spreadsheet. So I didn't hate it. Um... I don't think I liked it, but I, I don't think there's a track on there that stands among their, you know, those half dozen best songs. Uh Um, I think you're right that it's a really nice pop album with the caveat that it's very surprising to me that that group of guys could be involved in something this much later that's actually this strong and surprisingly not as corny as even the song titles would have you believe. Well, that's, that's kind of why I, so when I first heard about this, I was in, I I was angry because it sounded to me like it was going to be Mickey Dolenz and Adam Schlesinger making this album and like maybe Peter Tork would show up, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it, it's much more of a group effort than that. Mike Nesmith and Peter Tork are on almost every song. Uh-huh. And like the Rivers Cuomo song, which is a song I want to feature, she makes me laugh. Features some banjo, and Peter Tork's an amazing banjo player, and that's like a really cool thing that they worked in there. And it's not over the top; it's just a nice little accent piece. Realizing, I, I think, in, and this is a compliment to Schlesinger, and I'm not a, I'm not a huge Fountains of Wayne fan, but you know, there's a that first Fountains of Wayne album I think is actually a really really good album, and 
you know, he wrote that thing you do, the theme song to the film, which is again a perfect pop song. And uh, so I think like, he just has a great pop sensibility, and I think that he's able to tone down some of the cheesier elements that might have been present if the monkeys tried to do this themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I really enjoy it, and I have a real soft spot for like jangly guitar pop music. Sure. So yeah, yeah. I mean. This is this is kind of the Weezer album that the White Album wasn't. In a way, yeah. In some ways. You know? I wonder if this was put together by a young band and put out there into the wild, what the critical response would be. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Because it, just to, to, to kind of cross the streams here a little bit with our other podcast, we're going to be talking about a comic this week that I had incredibly high expectations for and really disappointed. And I wonder if I had gone into it without knowing the parties involved, either the characters or the creators, if I would be as harsh, you know, so there's something to be said for what expectation does to, to a listen of an album. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I expected nothing out of this album, and what I got was a a pleasant listen to an album that I may or may not give another chance down the road. You know, mm-hmm. it was fine. I was surprised. What I mean, this is it's unprecedented because when's the last time a, a band, uh, you know, came back together and did stuff forty, fifty years later, and it was good. <laughs> it was yeah, it was like decent and listenable and like they put in the full effort and like, you know, I mean, even Paul McCartney, you know, God bless his soul. Uh, kind of corny these days with some yep. of that new stuff, you know? And I mean, he's always been a bit of a cornball, but in a way that I totally dig and like, he's my favorite Beatle, but, uh, I can't say I like any of his new stuff, you know? I, I mean, it's, it's no better than this. You know? I'll go to bat for, his I think it's two thousand five, two thousand six, Chaos and Creation in the Backyard, the one that Nigel Goderich did with him. Sure, I'll go to bat for that as the best McCartney album of the of the twenty first century, by oh. by a country mile. Okay, yeah. Um, maybe we'll have to listen to that one of these days. Oh boy, to me, there's only one poor song on that album, and of course, it was the first single, and of course, it's the cheesiest one. Yeah, what was that again? It's called Promise to You, Girl. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. It's just and he, he should not be able to say "girl" anymore in songs. No, he shouldn't. Or "forever lover." Yeah, <laughs> he said that. <laughs> I don't, we could go back and forth. We've already done that. We've we've made that joke so many times to one another already. <laughs> yes, you said it. You didn't hear. Um. Anyway, I did think one interesting thing about this Monkeys album was uh-huh. that um. They did a response song to the accidental racist called the accidental hipster. Which is <laughs> really weird. That's the song co-written by um, Noel Gallagher and uh, Paul Weller. I am not surprised to hear that. It makes me hate it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're 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 firmly anti-racist.
comedian or the um, brothers. So, so you'd say you're pro watermelon then? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm anti watermelon violence. Yeah. Sure. We should make stickers of it, but buttons. <laughs> I'm pro Gallagher too. Oh, okay, well that's you know that is that's a controversial stance. That's a hot take. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Vince, what's your next album? Um, <laughs> my next album. Uh, let's talk about uh, Basha Bulat. Mm-hmm. I, did I pronounce that right? Yes, I, I actually watched like four different clips of her on YouTube today. To have people introduce her in interviews uh, to get it right. Basha Bulat. Basha Bulat. All right, I got it. Awesome. Um, so, I don't know how you would describe her other than, like, like to me, she's a pop singer. She's got pop sensibilities, but, you know, kind of with an alternative bend. She was a... I, I first heard of her as a folk singer, like, seven or eight years ago. Is that right? See, yeah. I, I need to go back and catch up with that, because this is my first time hearing her. The first time I, I experienced her was in the second season of the AV Club's Undercover series. Oh. She did Ted Leo's Where Have All the Rude Boys Gone. And she... loved her version and then they did a series again another undercover series a couple years later where they did all baseball songs and she did glory days by springsteen oh no way i have to hear that it's so fucking good it's just her and an auto harp oh and it's gorgeous it's it's she's great. got a great voice she does yeah, yeah, yeah. i had a friend was a big baseball player back in high school he could throw that speedball right by you, make you look like a fool. Saw him the other night at a roadside bar. I was walking in and he was walking out. We went back inside, sat down and had a few drinks. But all he kept talking about was glory days. school she could turn all the boys heads sometimes on a friday i'll stop i have some drinks after she put her kids to bed her and her husband bobby split up i guess it's two years gone by now we just sit around talking about old times she says when she feels like crying she starts laughing thinking about Yeah, if nothing else, check her out for her vocals. Just super strong, like, um, 
you know, were she more popular, she could totally fill a, uh, you know, a, a theater or a small stadium the way that apparently Florence and the Machine does mm-hmm. these days. She, uh, uh, yeah, just such a strong, like, authentic, anthemic voice. Yes. I think. Um, and 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 just kind of a a quirky sensibility uh when it comes when it comes to this sort of like anthemic pop rock type alternative music you know um, it's interesting because i would never have categorized her as like poppy until recently like yeah. her 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 music's always been very melodic but this is definitely like her poppiest and i'm i don't mean that as a good thing or a bad thing it's just her music is changing, and that's a good. I think I think change is a good thing. So, I'm uh, I'm into it. I'm into it. Um, what's the song you want to feature from this one? Because I I couldn't nail down just one, so I'm interested to hear which one you you picked. Um, I I wanted to feature in the name of, which I think is like the third track or mm-hmm. something, and that's the one that that's the one that really drives home like the Florence and the Machine comparison to for me. Um, not to knock hot take, hot take, hot take. Yeah, We're just dropping them all over the place tonight. Tri- yeah, yeah. Uh, but like, like this song is so triumphant, you know, and she uses these like layered vo- like, like I'm pretty sure it's just her vocals through the whole thing, but she like layers them. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a call and response at times. And, uh, and just really strong. It builds and, and it becomes really something anthemic by the end. Um, so that's, that's my, probably my favorite of her songs so far. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't wait to dig in more now that I, I just read this today because both this album and I guess I'll talk about it next just to, uh, for convenience sake, two of these albums were nominated on the long list for the Polaris prize, which is, uh, Canada's version of, um, it's just like they award the best Canadian album of the year every year. It's called the Polaris Prize, and there's a long list of forty albums, and this made the list. And I believe now she is tied for the most Polaris nominations of all time. Oh wow! With like five or six. Jeez. So, so yeah, you got a lot of digging to do if you want to go back and check some stuff out. I guess. What the hell? Yeah. It's always amazing to me how somebody can be that successful in Canada, and do nothing over here. Mm. I blame Canada. I blame Canada every day. 
Um, but even like, you know, this is kind of newsworthy. The Tragically Hip is a band that's name I've heard my whole life. <laughs> but like, you know, I, they, they just, it's very, very sad. Their singer has terminal brain cancer and he's going out on one last tour this year um, before he dies, which is just a horrible thing to think about. But like, you know, every article you read about them says like, you know, yeah, they were huge in Canada and uh, never really broke stateside. And I, I don't know how that happens. I don't know what's, I, all their songs weren't about poutine or something. You know, I don't know why it's, what makes it so much more Canadian accessible. They, they at the end of every song, they say, sorry. Yeah. And that's it. That's a really bad joke. We got to quit the Canada saying sorry joke. Yeah. That's, that's really overdone. You really should have made a joke about hockey instead. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And their affordable socialist healthcare. Oh yes, now there you go. Yeah. That's that's where it's at. <laughs> oh man. Well, I, I I'm glad we talked about Basha a bit. Yes. Um. So the album that I picked that is one of the Polaris Prize nominees is Daniel Romano's Mosey. Uh, Daniel Romano is, I would say, he's lumped in sometimes with people like Sturgill Simpson and Shooter Jennings as sort of the um, the next generation of outlaw country or of throwback country. I, I don't know how you'd want to describe it. But, um, you know, sort of looking to the late 60s, early 70s Nashville music as a, a jumping off point. Why I like Daniel Romano so much is I feel like he is less beholden to the shtick, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Like, Sturgill Simpson I like a lot, but I feel sometimes like, like there's a there's a shtick to what he's doing. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, it does. It's not so, like... The, the problem is when you say that around country music, it, it, people think a certain thing, you yes. know? Like, they think shitty trucks and like you know right, no, and I, that's, don't, I don't mean and that's that at not all what you mean no yeah that's not what you mean about sturgill simpson there's a sound still, that sturgill simpson a twang. Yeah, yep. yeah 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 and daniel romano has almost none of that right but the songs are very much in the same vein yes yeah yeah um for sure yeah but but before you said that i would not have lumped him in with those other artists you mentioned oh really okay yeah no not at all because i and not granted i've only listened to this album once to prepare for the, our show okay have you heard his other stuff or no no this is probably actually his least country of these oh, okay albums, there, well there you go because yeah. i listened to this and i thought like i heard a little bit of that mm-hmm. um when we talk about some songs i'll i'll say something even weirder but uh okay but i think he gets he, i mean he gets like downright almost acid or psychedelic yeah, at times yeah. it to me he sounds like a psychedelic like um lee hazelwood or like I hear bits of like Dolly Parton songs in his music, like that country stuff, but with a lot of strings and with a lot of pizzazz to it. But there's this like weird acid undercurrent to it, also. Yeah, I yeah. really like this album a I whole think, lot. I think I do too. I'm excited to listen to it more than just the one time I gave it because mm-hmm. um, it's there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Yeah, I think his lyrics are great too. He has very interesting lyrics. And the song I want to talk about is um when I first listened to the album, I listened to it without looking at the the song titles and this phrase jumped out at me and I thought this has to be the name of a song and it is. It's Hunger is a dream you die in. 
Which is a really, really clever turn of phrase. This album just really reinforces what I liked about his more country stuff, but it takes a few more chances. And, uh, yeah, you know, um, again, another Canadian boy nominated for the Polaris Prize. And uh, what was the song you wanted to talk about? I wanted to mention Sorrow okay, Leonard and William. Uh-huh. Um, and the, 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 th- the thing that I was going to say that occurred to me when I was listening to that song is that it almost to me it, it and this is where this is the first time I realized that there might have been like a a, a country western tinge to everything because uh-huh. keep in mind this is my first time listening to this particular artist right and I thought it was like a theatrical country almost like almost like it was the score to like a spaghetti western or something this just song the, definitely just has the music. that yeah 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 and I like I. I thought, wow, like I could totally see this over the credits of like a Tarantino movie or something. That's such an awful reference. No, but, I, I know what you mean, though. But you know what I mean, yeah. But then the lyrics are something else entirely. I mean, the the, the lyrical content of the song is something else. But mm-hmm. just the music alone, I thought, wow, this is really different. I'm not sure I've heard this exact mix in like modern country. I studied every wrinkle on the pillow at my head And sucked the sunken breath from deep within She hopped into the body of my memory and said Let not your sorrows die though I am dead And I'm living with her now inside the temple she moves enough to let my patience grow And then I hear the ringing in the tower Sorrow she shows dressed in ribbons and bows I know what I know I know what I know Can we fall apart together tonight? 
think he's really interesting artist, and I would recommend going back. He's released an album a year for the last few years, or just about that. So he has probably has four or five albums uh, in the kitty, just waiting to be listened to. I'll have to do that. Yeah, it's quite good. Um, who's your next artist you want to talk about? Oh, let's see. Uh, let's talk about... Let's talk about another country artist, William Tyler, mm-hmm. uh, and his album Modern Country. And the interesting thing, so first of all, this is a, a instrumental album. Yes. Of guitar heavy country music. I would and even say country music might be a bit of a stretch. There, there, there's country elements, but well, anyway, talk about it first. We'll, we'll talk about sure, it. We'll debate sure. that more later. Sure, sure, sure. Um, the cool thing about this album is that, um, you know, it's 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 a William Tyler album, but he's got in like a all star backing band. You know, Ringo esque. Ring, ring <laughs> the all star band. Yep. Uh, peace and love. Peace and love. Uh, he's got Phil Cook from Megaphone, who I saw at Eau Claire last year, and he that dude can play guitar and he loves it <laughs> like mm-hmm. you can just tell on yeah like he's infectious to watch play and then um i think somebody from wilco was on here mr and, glenn Cochi, their drummer yeah yep yep there you go so so he and and there are a few others too which i didn't write down but but uh a lot of musicians contributed to this entirely instrumental album and the like listening to it i could totally see like just relaxing on the front porch like watching people drive by in their crappy cars and just listening to this like twangy strumming it's very layered there's like multiple guitars going on at once and and it's just totally it's i mean at times it is like rip roaring country music without uh without lyrics like i mean we can get into why it's not country sometimes, but to actually a, a word that I would a term that I would use is like post country. Okay, <laughs> it's like it's like post rock only for country music. Mm-hmm. That's I mean that's what it, that's what occurs to me when I'm listening to it. But you you sound, it sounds like you have a different take on it. So well, you know there are definitely country ish elements to it. To me, it reminds me so much of a of a band that Glenn Kochi is in also with um, uh, producer and bassist Jim O'Rourke, as well as Jeff Tweedy from a club called Lucifer.
I don't think so. Okay, it's just it's just the three of them, and there are bits of it that remind me. I mean, part of it is Kochi's drumming is very uh, unique and very notable. You, you I, to me, he's one of those guys you hear him play and you know it's him instantly. Um, but uh, I find that Jim O'Rourke is a a reference that makes a lot of sense for this stuff, and I don't think of him as particularly country-ish, there's definitely that element there. I mean, there's Dobro and there's Pedal Steel on the album. There's a lot of those country elements. But I, I kind of, I like the the classification of post-country because <laughs> I definitely hear there is a post-rock influence. There is a, um, there there's an influence from just sort of the avant-garde side of, of rock music. And yet it's rooted in this very, as you put it, like down home countryish vibe too. It's a really interesting album. Yeah, I love it. it. I mean, I think it's probably going to end up one of my favorite albums of the year. Yeah, I think this will probably make my top thirty as well. Actually, I think all the albums I've talked about will probably make my top thirty, but who knows? Yeah, who knows what'll happen in the next six months? Right. Yep. So, um, <laughs> what's the song you want to you want to really focus on here? Oh, um, well, you know. It's tough because I don't think any one song gives you a good picture of what the whole album is like, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna live forever if it uh, kills me. If it kills me, because that's the one whose title sounds the most like country song. <laughs> Hard working man. <laughs> Got a steel hard hat. Uh, we we just lost all of our listeners in the flyover states. We did, yep. Yep. Including you apparently. Including me. <laughs> uh, uh, uh there's an album I picked that pairs nicely with this one, but I want to save it for my last conversation. Tim Heidecker's in Glendale. Oh man, it's a good album. <laughs> I, that album is really. I I actually kind of. I would kind of like to talk about that album in the future, but we'll see if it actually ever comes up. Yeah. 
well, hey, when we get to our top 30, yeah, and, it and, might be breaking it. And you do have the pick for next week, so who knows if uh, in Glendale is the one that's coming up next week. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, I got a baby now. Don't ask how. It just happens after a while. And she's all, all I care about. Don't ask why. That's just what she does to survive. by uh, an African musician named Bombino, who goes by the name Bombino, and the album is called uh, Azel. And uh, this is very much in the tradition of desert blues and desert rock. So it's um, it's definitely not for everybody. Uh, to me, it, a lot of African music has a very repetitive rhythmic feel and I love that stuff. I love getting lost in a groove like that. What's nice about these songs are that like one of my one of the most famous African musicians is uh, Finakuti and his songs will sometimes go on for 20 30 minutes and I love those grooves, but not everybody does. Whereas these songs all last, you know, between 3 and 6 7 minutes and they kind of give off a similar vibe, you know. There's there's a little bit of a of a um, there's definitely a jazz influence. There's definitely a uh, like a reggae or a ska influence a little bit in there with some of the rhythms. But his guitar playing is really really great, and I um I find this is like the perfect. And I've said this about a couple albums this year, and maybe this is just a motif in my life right now. It's a perfect like getting shit done record. Like I put this on and I I clean or I do yard work or I uh you know just getting getting stuff done around the house I really really love it for that reason and I think it's because the grooves are so strong that you get kind of you get into a rhythm of whatever you're doing to the beat of the music. Um, 
And this, this is an artist that I'm actually familiar with because of our local NPR station, The Current. Okay. Um, the, the last time uh, he had an album out, they, they spun a, a few different tracks from it quite a bit. And every time one came on, you know, I'd kind of bounce along with it. And um, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because it, it, it kind of brought it to the front of my queue. And I, I forgot how much I, I, I missed this kind of music since the last time he came around. Mm-hmm. Are you, um, ha- have you followed any of the other kind of desert bands? Like Black Jacks was one that had a big um, moment like maybe 15 years ago. And there's another one that's name is absolutely escaping me. Um, give me a second here. But is this sure. a genre of music that you've that you've heard in the past? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I I wouldn't say I follow it, but I I like it anytime one of these artists or bands gains a little prominence. You know? Okay. I think it's I think part of the problem is the way that they're covered here. You know? Mm-hmm. Um. NPR, <laughs> NPR again. Tinara uh, Wen, by the way, is what I'm thinking of. Tinara oh, okay. Wen. Yeah. I don't think I'm familiar with that. Okay, but, excellent, um, excellent. Interesting. Um, but NPR always does their year-end list, you know, uh-huh. and they have a lot of world music and a variety of genres that you don't usually see on these music blogs or magazines, Stereo Gum, Rolling Stone, any of this stuff, you know, Pitchfork even. Um, and... They always end up including a few of these artists, and then that's when I catch up with them. Because even NPR, for as much as they feature them at the end of the year on these lists, doesn't do a great job of featuring them throughout the year. Right. I think, you know? Um, I know there's only so much time to, to talk about you know, all the different artists that there are in the world. But uh, but I always like when, when one or two of these albums show up on their list and I get to check them out at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, There's I should a, uh, be better about following. Nah, I mean, I, I think we can all say that. Um, it's so hard to, to, to find all of these. It, it's hard to find world music because, like you said, there's just not a ton of avenues to get into there. But also I think that to an untrained ear, you're sometimes afraid – that what you're listening to isn't as good as you think it is. Does, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, but who cares about that? I mean, either you like it or you don't. Right. No, I agree. I, I know what you're saying, but you know, like sometimes it's nice to have a guide through that stuff. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. 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 But there, there's a great compilation that came out in 2010 called "The Rough Guide to Desert Blues," and it's two discs, and the entire second disc is by Etrin Finatua, and he's he's sort of the uh, I'd say the most well-known figure of this movement, but this, the disc before it has 13 different artists on it, and it's it's really really good. It's definitely worth checking out.
what's your last pick? My last pick is probably my favorite of the five that I picked, and um, it's probably the one that's going to place highest for me at the end of the year. Um, it's Florist, The Birds Outside Sang. And the thing that gets me about this album, um, and listeners will learn this about me, and Brian, you already know this about me, I'm my favorite music is probably the least complicated music and the most like intensely personal. So like if I can tell like through your lyricism or through your um, instrumentation that whatever you're singing about, you're, you're really feeling deep Mm -hmm. down somewhere, you're letting something out, you know? Um, And it's like apparent, like it's on your sleeve, you know? Um, those, those are tend to be my favorite albums. And I think this album totally has that in spades. Like it's just so personal. Um, it's so warm. Like it, it invites you in and then like breaks your heart (laughs) at times. Mm -hmm. She's, she's got such like a delicate voice and like a sensibility. Like she can write these, these like these you know she can she can write these like delicate folk songs that are just sort of minimalist and melancholy and then she can write these like epic sort of building these folk songs that build up but then she's still got this like delicate sensibility behind it um that that really takes like if you're if you're not paying attention it can take you by surprise you know like this album floored me the first time i heard it and I thought, like, why is nobody talking about this more? And it's probably because I'm the only one that re- – <laughs> I'm the only one in the world that really, really loves this kind of music this much. That's not true. But, no, that's not you know, true. That's just the way I feel sometimes. Like, like these artists that just break your heart on such a personal, minimal level um, always get major love from me. So – uh, the song I was particularly yes uh, just floors me. It wipes my tears, sweat my blood, my innocence throughout the years. And now. album i enjoyed it much more on subsequent listens than i did on the first listen 
And I think that might just because might be because I was not giving the lyrics the full attention the first time. Mm-hmm. And this is really an album that I mean I think there's a lot of really pretty music on the album and a lot of really well done music, but the lyrics really are what sells the album to me. Yeah, yeah, she's uh, yeah. I mean, and you know me, I'm like a lyrics guy, right. <laughs> so so it really it dug its it dug its uh, nails into me. <laughs> no, I think it's um. It's interesting. Very rarely does a record. Very rarely do the lyrics of a record make me want to research the songwriter. Mm. But after re- after hearing this stuff, I, wa- I kind of wanted to learn more about the band and about the songwriting process because some of the stuff was so intensely personal. Yeah. Yeah, and see, I I haven't done that yet. I'm sure at some point I will, but like. Right now, I'm right now. I'm at the point where I'm I'm building these songs up so that they like mean something to me or like I have a personal connection to them, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I always hesitate to like find more out about that. <laughs> I understand I, that. Yeah, I mean that's something we kind of talked about with with like Beyonce's Lemonade, where like it's unavoidable that you know what it's all about. Right. And I kind of like that. I can tell that you know, what's sort of going on with this, this person, but, you know, I, I don't know for sure. There's a sense of an, anonymity there and, and I can kind of apply these songs to my own life at, at times. And I'm really, this is going to be, I mean, I already love this album, but it's, I think it's going to be a grower the, the longer the year goes on. I could see that. So what's your, what's your final album? Brian? My final album is, uh, it's an instrumental guitar album, which is why mm-hmm. it, it would have been interesting for me to pair it with Modern Country, but I, I wanted to kind of end on this note. Uh, it's by a guy named Glenn Jones, and it is called Fleeting. Uh, I I don't remember where I first heard Glenn Jones, but it was around the time his last album came out, which was called My Garden State. And so it was, it, it was all about... It was very influenced by New Jersey. I believe he lived or lives in New Jersey when he made it, and you know... We've talked before about the the bit of pride that comes from when a good artist comes from your home state or home area. Um, But um, Jones plays guitar in a style called American Primitive, which is a really misnomer because it's very difficult to play. And um, it was developed or popularized by someone named John Fahey, who was a great, 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 can't say great enough times guitar player who died in the in the 90s and who has like maybe the best Christmas album of all time. Oh, wow. Um, just like all beautifully finger-picked Christmas songs. Um, the perfect Christmas season stuff. So later in the year, if we do a Christmas songs show, I'm sure I'll, I'll include some of his stuff on there. Oh, um, we're doing a Christmas song show. Okay, cool. Excellent. I love Christmas music.
but it, so it's kind of similar to John Fahey's stuff. But to me, it is just like the most relaxing, tranquil music out there. And I, um, it's something I put on to relax. It's something that I think is both beautiful and haunting at times. And, you know, I, I'm somebody who plays a little bit of guitar, but that usually, I rarely think about playing the music I listen to. I think about playing this all the time. Mm. I don't know if that's something about just the difficulty involved, and so it just sounds interesting to me, or if there's just something that, for whatever reason, I really connect with about the style of playing. Um, what did you think of this album? I loved it. I, I I put it almost... I'll have to give it a few more listens, but it's almost right up there with Modern Country. Okay. Um, it's a little more folky. Absolutely. Um which I like, but uh, but I'll have to give it some more listens. But I really, really uh, liked it a lot. I've only li- I only listened to it once. I, again, mm-hmm. just to prepare for this show, and and I wasn't expecting another instrumental one. Um, but I was really impressed with with uh, you know I was impressed that two like instrumental folky country type albums made such an impression on me that it's making me think that I need to visit that genre more often. Okay. I actually did have the thought while I was listening to it, kind of what you were talking about with the, the desert blues music. Uh-huh. Like while I was listening to this, I was like, is this, is this just really as good as I think it is? Or <laughs> is it just that I don't listen to a whole lot of this? Right. You know? Yeah. But I think it's really good. Like I, I think that's an accurate assessment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the track I wanted to f- focus on it. And honestly, I think, I don't think you can go wrong with any song on this album. But uh, Portrait of Basho as a Young Dragon, because I just like the title a lot. And I think that when you hear the title and then listen to the song, it's, it's a fascinating juxtaposition. Ten really different albums. Yeah, yeah, that was a good spread. Yeah, it was. Um, so do you have an album picked out for next week? I do. I'm very excited about it. Okay. Um, we're gonna listen to the self-titled 
debut album of a super group, I guess you would say. You know where I'm going with this? I don't. They're called Case Lang Veers. Ah. ah. Nico Case, of course. Of course, my Katie girlfriend. <laughs> yep. I love God. Nico Case. I do too. I'll I'll have to fight you for her, although oh. that that's uh, a relic of the patriarchy. So, <laughs> Katie Lang, of course, who is neither of our girlfriends. No. And, uh, and Laura Veers. Uh, three artists that I, I I like to varying degrees on their own. And I'm interesting how they come together. Um, are you familiar with, with all three of them? I am, yes. Um, yeah. Katie Lang is somebody that... I'm going to save this story for next week. <laughs> but I'll, I'll say I, I've been aware of Katie Lang for a very, very long time. But I haven't really dove into her music outside of the music you hear... Out, sort of in the world of hers, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. She's got a very specific, um, very specific circles that she runs in. Yes. Um, musically, one, one. I guess you know the the way that I know her best, um, and this isn't much of a story, but like I never listened to her albums. She was never played very much on the radio unless you listened to adult contemporary adult contemporary. And I think it was then just pretty much constant craving. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But growing up in central Wisconsin, um, uh, I don't, we didn't even have like a radio station that would play her, you know, but she was like a mainstay on talk shows. Yes. I would see her on talk shows all the time. And I always thought like, Wow, she's really good, but like I just would never have an outlet to listen to her music. You know, at least back then, right? Like, you know, but I always thought, you know, I'm I'm impressed. And then of course, like I'm in love with Nico Case and and Laura Veers has done so much over the years, uh, features especially on like other people's music. Yes, and she always makes an impression. So I'm I'm jazzed about this one. Yeah, I'm excited too. And I'm excited to hear your story next week. It's it's not much of a story. <laughs> um if um if people wanted to not have to wait until next time that we're on the uh virtual radio to hear us talk about various things, they can follow us on Twitter. Uh they can follow me at Brian Needs an app. Where can they follow you? At VJ underscore O S T R O W S K I. Rest in peace, Harambe. <laughs> yeah, we haven't we haven't done this. We we might have to do a Harambe uh, tribute show. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, last time it was um, Darwin Cook on the DC three cast. Yeah, definitely. Next time, Harambe the the bashful ape. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, good night, folks. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm at the